0: This is Tell Your Story, Alaska. We talk aviation, history, theology, but most of all, the raw stories of Alaskans and the gospel. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Tell Your Story, Alaska. Today I have uh, my friend Ellis. Uh, how do you say your last name? Google. Google. Like Google. A website. Are you
1: serious? Yeah. But it's not spelled that way. No, it was, it was my way first. It's the goofy German hat with the bell on the end of the long, like, stocking cap as <laughs> a Google. It's a Google. That's a
0: Google. I actually thought it was Google or something like that. Yeah. No. Okay. Ellis Google. Mm-hmm. Welcome Thanks. to Tell Your Story Alaska. Now, Ellis is a commercial fisherman. He also attends my local church, and we've actually been sitting here talking for about an hour before I hit record. <laughs> and I, I wish I had the record on while we were chatting because uh, Ellis is very much a, a deep thinker, and um, he and I really got into the weeds about some um, just deep spiritual things, uh, philosophical things, I guess you might say. Um, and so I'd like to dive back into that. But first, uh, I want to. He- I want to start with kind of your story, where you come from, your family. Um, Give us the basic facts about your family. How Your
1: parents, uh, how many siblings do you have, where you're from? Okay. Um, I'm from right down the road, actually. I grew up within five miles of here, the two houses I lived in. Um, And that's in, like, Big Lake, Alaska area? Big Lake in Houston, yeah. Yeah. And um, I have six older siblings... And my parents are still both alive and together. And um, let's see here. My dad is from originally uh, the town of Uzinki, outside of Kodiak, which oh. I think is a township of, like, 40 or 50 people. <laughs> is that um, on Kodiak Island? Uh, it's on—I believe it's on Whale Island. Oh, but wow. But it's, okay. it's the Kodiak Archipelago. Yeah. So Kodiak is, a you know, a bunch of smaller islands, but it's right— kind of 15 or 20 minutes outside Wow, so of he town. grew up there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, full-blown native kid from the village. Um, my mom is... Is f- your dad 100% from- native? No, so my granddad grew up in Wisconsin and okay. then left home when he was 16, kind of mm. fell out with his family and ran away. Wow. And wound up in Kodiak and then in Uzinki. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Started fishing with my great-granddad, who is. From there, the fishing bloodlines go back.
0: Okay, so um, you're at, that would make you third generation fisherman.
1: Yeah, if you count my my grandma's side of the family, so my my granddad married the daughter of the guy he was working okay. for, who was my grandma, who's a native girl from the village. Okay, um, but yeah, third generation of modern fishing and past that, it's not even what we would consider like. Modern commercial fishing, it was more of just like native life, but yeah, so I'm just going generation. out because you needed food for yourself Lots of subsistence. Yeah. Right. yeah, so my granddad crabbed and did shrimp and shot seals the most amazing shot from the deck of a boat Wow, um, but so yeah, okay. um, so my dad's from the village um, son of a fisherman and a native girl <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then my mom is from Federal Way, Washington Okay. So just kind of northern Tacoma area. Yeah. And they met when my dad went down for college. Okay. And so, yeah.
0: Okay. So tell me about your childhood. You have six older siblings, so you're the baby. Mm -hmm. I'm also the baby in my family, but Mm -hmm. I don't have that many siblings. (laughs) You had a little army there. So tell me what growing up was like with your parents and with your siblings,
1: uh, and it was in this area. Yeah, it was... chaotic (laughs) Uh, there's always a lot going on Uh, we had you know us kids we lived out on a 30 acre property um, had horses and dogs and the occasional goat came through was it
0: like a homestead
1: not quite. I mean, because we're a fishing family. Okay. So we, you know, we're not very agricultural people. So it wasn't very ranchy or farmy, but my sisters loved horses. We had a whole bunch of land and a whole bunch of pasture and wow. a great big barn and kind of lots of farm animals, but all kind of in a recreational capacity. So mm-hmm. I grew up with lots of chores, lots of time outside. Um, really loved being out with my horse and my dog, yeah. kind of in the woods. And then the summers, I fished. So, fished with your dad. Yep. From when I was five on, I got in a bunch of trouble with my parents when I was, I think, seven or eight, and got grounded and had to spend the summer at home. And oh. that was <laughs> that was the worst punishment imaginable. Yeah, it was about as bad as it gets. Yeah. So you loved going
0: fishing with your dad?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the thing that was happening, and there was a lot of guys, you know, on the boat being on the boat was amazing and then the relationships i had with the guys out there isn't that i mean i've seen those like the deadliest catch those shows it seems like it might be dangerous for a young boy so yeah that's winter fishing okay and it's fishing is dangerous um it just is and i've seen a lot of guys get hurt around me um my dad made sure we were Safe ish. Um, I mean, I started working on the deck between eight and 10. I was running a power skiff full time by the time I was like 10. Wow. Um, But, you know, I guess my dad's ethos or our family's ethos has always been about really maintaining your equipment, always working with the the industry leaders in a given field, whether it's, you know, your hydraulics or your your boat building or your net. really high-end, really well-maintained equipment so that then you can push the margins safely. Oh, I see. In my time with my dad, he was really good at keeping his crew safe. Um, Hmm. We see weather, and we definitely excelled in fishing at weather, and looking back, some of the stuff that we did was pretty crazy, but (laughs) as a kid, it never felt, you know, dangerous. I remember... Sitting with my brother on the galley table one night, coming out around Halibut and watching the moon disappear when the waves would come up. Oh, wow. And that was how you could tell a wave was coming, was the moon would go away and then the boat would plunge. And I remember my sister sitting behind us, white knuckled, just terrified, holding onto the table for dear life. But me and my brother thought it was the greatest adventure ever great fun <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah some of the basic differences between boys and girls generally speaking <laughs> right? yeah 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 okay that's interesting so tell me generally like when you as a boy were going out fishing were you on the boat for like a month or like how did it work did you yeah live on
1: the boat so we start you know we would do herring which that industry's really dried up but man back in the heydays Financially, you know, you'd look at it as you were kind of a herring fisherman who moonlighted fishing salmon. Okay. Um, any more herrings, just not really worth it. But we used to, you know, see eleven, twelve hundred dollars a ton, and wow. you can get a set of herring That's, you know, the biggest set of herring I've ever made myself was seven hundred ton. So wow. if you think about the value of that at a thousand dollars a ton, you're doing okay. Yeah. Um, but herring would start in May. First, second week of May, we'd go down and get the boat ready. Um, and then there'd be a week or two break between Herring and Early Reds in Kodiak, which the Early Reds are kind of the beginning to the middle end of June. And okay. then we would throw the boat into the harbor in Kodiak and jump on a plane and fly over to Bristol Bay, where my dad had his gill netter. Mm. And then we would gill net from middle late June until middle late July. Wow. Hop back on a plane, fly back to the boat, and then do late humpies and late reds in Kodiak, which would be from end of July. So like July 25th, 24th is when you really want to be operational there mm-hmm. until middle of September. I think I saw the first week of October
0: a few times. And you would be yeah. out on the boat that entire time? You wouldn't mm-hmm. come in for a resupply or anything?
1: No, I mean, we would You know, okay, so when I was a kid, we snagged up the seine and ripped it in half lengthwise, which a seine is a quarter-mile-long net that's uh, 40 feet deep and has so many working components in it. Mm. It's it's so much more than just a piece of fabric. Um, So we would go into Kodiak town and uh, spend three days sewing the seine back together lengthwise on City Dock. Or, you know, when I was younger, my dad would make sure... For instance, if I wasn't if I wasn't hacking it, or just for a break, sometimes he would take me to my friends in Kodiak and leave me, you know, in town for a couple of weeks. So you you know bump into town for a day or two, or sink the skiff and need to go rebuild it, or rip the net in half and need to rebuild it. But the whole goal of fishing is to be operational consistently. I mean, you could be making as much as ten grand a day, yeah. and so you avoid town. If you spend three days fixing a net. That's 30 grand potentially. Plus, yep, plus what you spent fixing the net. Right. So there's right. this whole ethos in fishing that I want to be on the grounds. Um, we have tenders that will bring out supplies, parts, water, fuel. Yeah. Oh, I see. And then we put our fish on them. Oh, so okay. So they come running out, take our fish. They empty your haul so you can get more going. Give us what we need. Yeah. And they go out and we sleep and fish.
0: And I have to ask, um, was seasickness ever a big deal, or did you just get your sea legs
1: and then it, you never got sick? Or, yeah, so I think the best way I can describe seasickness is the way my granddad handled it. Okay, um, he would give crew who were sick root beer. Oh because root beer tastes good going down and it will still taste good coming back up (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh that's great once you get comfortable with that Mm -hmm. you're not seasick anymore really seasick is really i mean i can still get sick if i you know go down in in the cabin and read a book or something while the boat's moving Mm -hmm. you know but um seasickness occurs when your inner ear can feel that you're moving but you're eyes aren't processing movement and that right. disagreement makes your brain say hey something's wrong just as a you know safe bet let's throw up so that we know we're not poisoned by something yeah because i'm you know feeling and seeing different stuff so it's really like a, a neurological event is Ex- what's happening exactly right so yeah. you know to <laughs> this day i will feel woozy once or twice early on in the year if i'm down in the engine room fixing something or i'm laying in my bunk reading a book Mm. but then you just go up and look at the horizon and your brain will figure out that it finds agreement again the world moves yeah and after a few days you you get over it Mm. and so it's something that you know i remember being pretty sick a few times as a kid but you know having done it my whole life you get used to the like oh there's that feeling look at the horizon there it is yeah Yeah, that's
0: one of the interesting correlations between um uh, i don't know what the proper word is but being out on a boat and in aviation when you're in the Mm. airplane because Mm -hmm. the same event happens with the disorientation Mm -hmm. Um, i have like last summer i had a couple people vomit in my airplane and i have bags for that and i try to tell them look outside find the horizon and they don't want to they want to keep their head down um, so they're not doing what they need because mm-hmm. they feel horrible, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that's an interesting correlation there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a guy this year who, uh, didn't want to eat cause he felt bad. So then he felt bad cause he wasn't eating. Right. Poor guy was green for like the three days. Cycle. Yeah. Until I got him up early one morning and fed him and then took him out and he, oh, well, it's way better. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely like, like I said, with the thing with the root beer, it's once you can kind of get. Comfortable with the fact that your brain is having a disagreement, yeah. it stops kind of sending so many alarm bells because yeah. you're. It's amazing how our brains are
0: designed to acclimate to things like that. Um, it really is amazing. And even thinking about, we were talking earlier, and we'll get to that in a little bit, I think, but just we were talking about anxiety um, uh, or people who have just issues in their life, old wounds in their life, and stuff. Um, their brains orient around these wounds and they accept that as a new normal. Mm-hmm. But you have to, like, really work at those new neural pathways to
1: heal from that kind of stuff. It's threatening to heal. Yeah. Yes, and we resist that. Absolutely. So. I would say, you know, when you're talking about habituation, I would say it was one summer, it was pre-teens for me. It was, oh man, it must have been 11 to 12, but we took the Saner, instead of leaving it in K-Town, we took it around to Bristol Bay and it tendered. So it took fish for people. So it caught its own fish, and it's something I do now. And then it went and it bought fish. And that year, I realized that if I played my cards right, I could avoid touching land from between May and the end of September. And so I made it my goal... To, I think there was not showering was a part of it too. I must have been a stinky little bugger. But um I made <laughs> it my salty. goal to, yeah, <laughs> to not touch land. And I did it. I made it the whole summer. But when I got off that boat, I wanted to die. I got so as seasick as I've ever gotten. On be- the land. On land. Because the wow. boat wasn't moving. And whereas with or the land wasn't moving like a yeah, boat, you know, right. whereas with seasickness you can go get your head in the wind and look at the horizon. There was no way to make the land move. Yeah. And so I got off that boat, and it hit me like a ton you of Need breaks. to put you on a trampoline or something. I would have been so happy. <laughs> I'd go out and sit in the lake in a canoe. Yes. But i gotten so used to the way the boat moves that when the land was there, I remember the feeling of it just being so solid. Yeah. You know, and there no rock. Um, that year, I think I fell down in the shower a couple of times because I'd have to close my eyes to rinse my hair. Yeah. And my body's wanting there to be movement so bad that you just topple over in the shower. So it's definitely something that not only do you get used to it, but it becomes really comforting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting correlation to say
0: that you know, co- correlating that to healing from trauma in your life or something like mm-hmm. that, that our brains really can re- rewire themselves, mm-hmm. which is, if you think about, you know, if we're made in God's image, that's an amazing design. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does take work, but it can do it.
1: Yeah. The know,
0: you, like a machine or, a, you know, a, my kids have these toys. They don't reprogram themselves. I mean, with AI, you could mm-hmm. argue that, but all they're doing is, um, replicating what we know about how brains work. Mm-hmm. And so that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It yeah.
0: really is. So speaking of, you know, on that kind of topic, you were talking about some things in your childhood or that were challenging the way you were growing up. Um, go into that as much as you're comfortable going into. Okay, so yeah, my parents...
1: How do I... My parents were growing when when they were raising us. And my dad was 40 when I was born. So I didn't really know my dad as a young man. But as I've had my own kids and I've grown, I've really learned how much, you know, we, we should all be growing. We should all be learning and healing. And so there's been a lot of, like, forgiveness and acceptance there. But my dad... My dad's an old-school, hard fisherman. And it's not that he's ever malicious. It was that he just really had... A goal, you know, to succeed in fishing, and then from his, you know, his own upbringing, he had limited or developing conflict resolution strategies, mm-hmm. um, and then you know his own process, and so there was, what do you want to call it? There were some pretty uh, things could be scary for me. Was some pretty limited conflict resolution strategies, and. You know, growing up with my dad, he was a hard man. I mean, he was a tough fisherman. Hmm. And for me as a kid, you know, he put us to work really, <laughs> really young. He put us, you know, he would just kind of throw you into a position of responsibility. So I was out there running the power skiff for him at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, which is a position of just huge responsibility. Hmm. Um, it's your job to hold the end of the, the other end of the net. Yeah. Yeah. So you hold the shape that catches the fish, which means if you make a mistake, you can lose the fish. Mm. And then you're holding the boat while it's hauling the gear back in. And my dad loved bad weather. So then you've got this responsibility to hold this boat with these guys all working on it while it can't maneuver up against the coastline with 25 knots, 30 knots blowing on shore. And, you know, my dad was a really... So in order to accomplish... That in those conditions, he had
0: to become a hard man. He had to be very direct. Um, and that's what, that's the way your father was because of those things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I mean, again, this is, it was growth. And this is yeah. something I've, I've stood next to my dad as he's learned through this stuff. And he'll be mm. the first to say that this is an area that he's needed to grow and to develop. And that's actually been a huge blessing to me is to have his openness and his kind of uh, him modeling, you know, humility and acceptance of the areas that he needs to grow and yeah. asking grow and asking for forgiveness and you know admitting what he's done wrong but I mean he was a, he when I was younger he was known for being a screamer you know he was really demonstrative and so for me you know as a young kid you want to please your dad you yeah. don't want to be. Afraid, and you don't want to be yelled at, you don't want to be in trouble. And so, there was a thing there for me where there was a lot of, you know, my younger years, there was a lot of resentment and, you know, some pain from having some of those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, for me, as I've grown myself, and as I've done the job and as I felt the urge to scream, I actually have a ton of gratitude towards my dad. Hmm. Um, because he walked a real hard path in front of me. You know, his dad, it's its exponential. I could look at my granddad and again, I don't want to speak ill of him, but that was a hard man, Yeah, um, way harder. And you know, my granddad never told his dad he loved him. Hmm. Um,
0: So there's a generational thing going on there. Right. And From what I'm hearing, your dad is the one that broke that generational cycle.
1: Yeah, you know, my dad and I, you know, as we've come to work together, you know, a a lot of the trauma has come up. So I got out of fishing. Actually, let's go this way. I stopped working for my dad when I was 17. I bought my own boat. Oh, wow. And I started fishing for myself in the bay. And because um, I w- wanted to get away from that stuff and about that time was where my parents really Their marriage kind of hit rock bottom and they really got proactive about learning and okay. about healing So mm-hmm. I was a young adult yeah. Kind of stepped away from them saying hey, I hate you guys. You've scared me. You've hurt me. I have all this trauma But then around my early 20s, you know We started having these really authentic conversations about what was going on in my family And and why things were the way they were and so Mm. in a really radical way I got to stand as an adult with my parents and listen to them I don't you know, I don't want to make it too, but you know confess and heal and change and learn and grow So then I kind of I went my own way and then started to come back and worked with my dad occasionally and we would have Great big spats and blowouts, and because you know I was hurt and I was angry. Um, and then I sold my boat because Bristol Bay is battle fishing. People just treat each other terribly, and there's lots of ram. A bit of a survival of the fittest sort of thing. Who, it's derby fishing, yeah, and, and <laughs> derby fishing. There's no I like that. There's no culture. In Bristol Bay, it's a lot of out-of-state guys who come uh. storming in. They fish for four weeks and then leave, and no one has to see each other in the boatyard, right? in the grocery store. Saning. there's, I think, 120 boats, and I know not just, you know, of the 30 or 40 boats that fish my area. I don't just know you and your kids. I know your dad. Yeah, so
0: there- I, All these outsiders create a lack of community, so there's no consequences for being a jerk.
1: Exactly right. So I hated that fishery. And I I thought, you know, I really hated fishing, you know, especially with kind of my early stuff with my dad. Yeah. Um, And then my dad, well, I was running my consulting business and COVID happened and that kind of crashed that. And I was in my daughter's room, quite literally, crying out to God. I mean, I was literally crying. Can you and, tell right? briefly your uh, consulting business? Yeah, it's it's behavior consulting for problem dogs. Okay. So yeah, um, my dog bites, barks, growls, toilets in the house, runs away. Yeah. Can you help me make it better? Right. Um, right. And so I've been. And do- I want to get to that later, but continue yeah, your we'll other dig story. It, yeah. Um, I've been doing that for for gosh. At that point, seven or eight years, the business was extremely successful. I was booked months in advance. Hmm. COVID happened and it really crashed and it showed me um, kind of the fallibility of that, like that everything I'd put in could be pulled apart by a pandemic just so quickly. And hmm. I was reaching out to God and kind of saying, you know, what am I doing here? Is this my life? Is this your plan for me? I was really emotionally exhausted from the job. My phone rang, and my dad was calling, and he said, Hey, my skipper for the millennium, which is our family boat. It's the boat I grew up. I literally lost teeth on that thing. It was my dad's magnum opus, you know, beautiful boat he designed and built and rebuilt. Um, my skipper for the millennium withdrew. Will you run the boat? And I had been, I mean, literally crying out to God, what am I supposed to do with my life? Ring, ring, ring. Hey, will you run the boat? Wow. Okay. okay. Right
0: at the same time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was literally sitting and praying in my daughter's room crying, and my phone rang. Wow. And my dad said, do you want the job? And I just answered immediately, yes. Wow. You know, um... There's something
0: about, like, I think maybe I've mentioned this on another episode, but, like, I think of, like, Hagar. She, you know she had a child with Abraham Mm -hmm. and then Sarah Abraham's wife said get out of here and she left she's in the wilderness Mm -hmm. she's by herself she's hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. and that's when God appeared to her and comforted her Mm -hmm. and basically saved her you were in the exact same thing you had hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. and then you cried out and then that happened I I feel like I've heard this story over and over Mm -hmm. there's a thing where he waits till he hit rock bottom and then something happens I wish I could quote it more
1: accurately but I th- it's is it Romans or Hebrews where he says, you know, you, you don't get because you don't ask. Oh, sure, with the right heart and there's yeah. something about brokenness.
0: Yeah. And we were talking about
1: earlier uh uh
0: from the Sermon on the Mount.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The what the poor in spirit, shall mm-hmm. inherit the kingdom of God. The
1: downtrodden and the meek. Yes, the yeah. the broken it could be another <laughs> yeah. word. Yeah. So so I'm sitting here my I get this phone call. I've got, you know, at this point, quite a lot of unresolved stuff um, with my dad. And boom, you know, it was just a pure God thing. Okay, you want career? Here, fish for your dad. Which for me was, you know, at 17 years old, I'd gone my own way. So I was very much, in my opinion, a self-made man, <laughs> you know. So to go back into that position was a lot of being humbled and so stepping back in there now you know I've got to take over this operation I get on the boat I got to work pretty close with my dad which at first was really upsetting we really kind of clash because of course I had this trauma from my dad having been a screamer I really wasn't as a skipper. i you know, really purposed to be just as mellow and as gentle as I can be. I mean, the boat's got to run, right? And I'm going right. to get my boat to run, right? Yeah. But I'm going to be as patient of a skipper as I have the energy to be. And I'm human, so it's not. Were you trying to contrast yourself with your dad? Oh, man. So much. And okay. so much of who I was was defined by these kind of things that I had seen. You know, there were some guys that I really loved that my dad had broken relationship with in a moment of being really upset which i can now see as just being overwhelmed underrested, yes. unable to cope and i can forgive that now yes. um but as a kid you see your dad especially you know my dad is this great fisherman you know is this all-powerful creature so how could you from this place of power have done something so cruel wow um so we, we work together, we get the boat running, I'm running it out to take a tendering contract, and my dad comes to me and says, hey, I've, uh, I should have sold this boat probably five or six years ago, but I don't want to, because I really was hoping you would take it over. Mm. I've wanted this for you, and I see you're doing your dog training thing, I don't want to get in the way of that, but um, just want you to know, I would really like for you to have this. I want to make sure you have a way in the world Hmm. and you know I'm, i'm my days are limited but what i want most in life is to see my kids set up for success and i think this is something you could really do which for me was just oh my goodness you know is this are you voting for me you know and uh so you have six older siblings too, but he approached you, right? So this yeah. was big. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I was the youngest, I was the little messer, you know, in my household. So being given this kind of responsibility when I had so much trauma over the areas that I'd made mistakes, hmm. you know, was really, wait a minute, you know, I'm you're, you're, you're believing in me in a tangible, radical way. Um, so I took the contract and um, told him I'd think about it. I wound up having a crewman who had to go home. He had some, uh, some drinking problems that wound up He just he had to leave on short notice. And so I brought out my wife and my kids hmm. And we finished our contract. I mean my kids are They shouldn't have been on a boat. I think they were like six and three or maybe like <laughs> two and five Like wow. not an age to have them on a boat, but we all did it together As a family we get to the end of the contract and my wife comes to me. and She says we don't Want to go home the kids are talking to me. They want to stay on the boat. They want to they want to do this Wow I turned to my wife and I said, well, you know, my dad had this conversation with me this spring. Mm-hmm. Oh, she did, did she not know about that? I hadn't that? told her. I was oh, like, we, okay. We can, we can do this, but if we do this, here's, here's we're going to go seining. We're going to do the following stuff. Here's what it's going to look like. And so I went to my dad and said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll take over this operation. And uh, wound up, you know, having to work really closely together. And again, those first few years, you know, I was, I'm hiring my own crew, but then my dad's around transitioning, you know, teaching me the steps. So these are Mm. my people now that are being exposed. And they're not his people. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So like the first set out, my dad has my wife crying on deck because he's howling and yelling. And and what happened was it put us in this spot where now, you know, I'm not a child. I'm a man and I'm taking over this operation and... Mm. I'm going to have to run the boat my, my way. To, if You're not a skipper if you're not. That's right. Owning the culture and making choices. And man, me and my dad had some just profound... I remember that first year, man, we argued so much. So much. Hmm. And I remember sitting in the top house with him. And I remember realizing that my dad was... Was feeling insecure and was pushing back against some of my decisions because he felt like I didn't love and respect him. Hmm. Wow! And that for me was just mind blowing because oh my gosh, look at you, man! You're you're the biggest baddest. You think I don't respect you? That's that is not what's taking place. Excuse hmm. me. <coughs> and so, um, and so I remember sitting with him. And I remember, you know, we are both got tears in our eyes. We're running the boat back into Larson Bay. And this is going back to where it's saying, you know, the generational thing. Dad, I have this heart to care for my crew because I've seen you in front of me. I've seen you lose. I've seen you hurt. I've seen you lose relationship. Yeah. And so you've walked this, you've climbed this mountain in front of me in deep snow. And mm-hmm. I've just walked behind you in your trail. And if I'm able to climb higher than you on this mountain, it's because I've been walking behind you for the last 30 years. Hmm. That's such a good way to put it. I have this energy because I've seen you, I've studied you, I've Hmm. learned from you because you've broken this trail. You know, if my dad had said, hey, I'm unrepentant, those guys were jerks, they had it coming, then there's no room for growth. But where my dad was able to really engage with humility and engage with confession and engage with growth and he was really tangibly able to show me not just here this is wrong but then to to name wrong wrong yeah so then we started having these conversations together that are you know why are you afraid of me yelling well when you yelled when i was younger that hurt and scared me well why do you uh Why don't you want me to manage the crew? Well, because... And that really pushed me into an area where, you know, we're talking in a way with a level of authenticity that I... would have never, I would have never been willing to kind of risk hurting my dad that much. So much of it, I'm willing to just kind of knuckle down and say, whatever, this is how you are. But, you know, now when we're trying to work this boat together, we started really... Having to get into it, you know, and and the, at first, I mean, gosh, we, it was terrible. It was really bad. We had a lot of really tough conversations. My dad left the boat a couple of times, you know, because uh-huh. he just couldn't be around it and I couldn't have him around it. But then what came from that was just this, my, my relationship with him now, my understanding, my peace, you know, my ability to forgive both him and to see the stuff in myself and both choose to grow but to also have forgiveness and the grace and the hope of moving forward is just profound you know Mm. it's just absolutely incredible you know and then of course i'm doing the job so i'm in these situations where i can really emotionally grasp what it was like to have a crewman cross thread the oil filter on the generator (laughs) (laughs) And kill it (laughs) So now I can really go back and see like Oh that's why you were so angry And not in a place of like Oh so that kind of anger is appropriate But a place of You know and thank you for naming that anger Wrong I'll give you one This year I My crew didn't Latch the hatch of the lazarette And on a boat My bow floats It's got a cabin in it Lots of open air Mm -hmm. My engine room Floats-ish, but it's got a bunch of heavy engines, so it's kind of the ballast point of the boat. It's kind of neutrally buoyant. My fish holds are full of water. Mm -hmm. They're not floating, so this is moving bow to stern. My lazarette is the last positive buoyancy I have behind my fish holds. Mm -hmm. It's got fuel tanks in it. It's got a bunch of air in it. It's where the rudders and everything are. Mm. And it's kind of the life jacket of the boat. If you flood my lazarette, there's nothing behind the engine room trying to float, and the boat's going to go down she's lost so your lazarette's so important to the safety it's your lifeline it's your life yeah so my crew didn't latch the hatch all the way because my nephew likes to go to the bathroom in the lazarette Uh (laughs) so I wake up and uh, I make this just ugly, ugly set first thing in the morning. My crew come up and they go, "Hey, did you see the?" And I, I'm thinking they're telling me there's, they're, the the leads got over the corks because I turned wrong while I was laying out my net. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, sure. Don't talk to me. I'm embarrassed. I hate it. I'm just gonna fix it. It'll be fine." And they all kind of leave. I look back and they're all standing around the open lazarette hatch looking. And I go, "Where'd the lazarette, where'd the last hatch go?" And they all, we tried to tell you it it went overboard and this is like the bitter end of the season yeah i want to quit the crew want to quit but there's still good money to be had mm-hmm. and so you're in this place where like you're pushing yourself to keep fishing to yes. keep going and you don't want to be you're there. running on adrenaline right and it's hard oh, to be man. clear-headed and all that yeah and if anyone makes you stop at that point i mean you want to stop but you're not letting yourself so them yeah. making you stop is this it's like war it's the one of the worst feelings and uh if I don't have my last hatch, I can't fish safely. I mean, and we're days from being done, so it's not even like I can just order in a new one and keep going. We're we're at the bitter end. So we're talking about this, like, last 25 grand I want to bring in. Yeah. And uh, I called my dad. And I'm just, Dad, I'm, I'm not yelling. I kicked all the crew out of the top house. They're okay. But I want to kill everyone. I am. <laughs> I'm so mad, Dad. My last hatch is gone. And... To have that conversation with my dad you know the first thing out of his mouth was okay son we can create solutions for this but first and foremost most important thing you love those men on your boat they are good men and they've worked hard for you but man i i I understand that but i i want to i want to kill them all like i i know i love these guys rationally but emotionally i'm so angry and to just be able to have my dad there has kind of the author of some of these really hard moments for me as a child speaking patience and forgiveness and acceptance and gentleness wow. when he says that i mean it's a big voice that's i'm talking about yeah. the, the biggest scariest dog in the dog park yes. for me and he's saying you know have grace have gentleness and so i'm really i'm, I'm kind of staggered i hold my set it's time to close it up I'm still emotionally, I'm mad, but I, I can hear my dad's voice saying, you know, don't do what I did. Wow. You were there. You know how much it hurt because we talked through all this now. Mm. Don't do it. Mm. And I'm sitting up <laughs> and I'm, I'm on my deck. I pray so much. When I mean, I, sh- I should pray more at home, but when you're on the ocean and you're so out of control, that's one of the most powerful things about fishing is you are holding God's. Hand, I hmm. cannot do this.
0: Hmm.
1: I'm, I'm on a f- boat. This thing wants to sink. I'm in the ocean. Everything. I mean, you're a go. speck of dust in the universe, kind of a thing, yeah. out, out on that water. Yeah, and, and and I mean, the ocean's always trying to come in the boat. Yeah, your boat is trying to sink. Yeah, you're just you're just holding it back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're just doing your maintenance and, yeah. and and all this stuff. I mean, one, one mistake from somebody getting really hurt or you know at best case scenario us losing millions of dollars in equipment that we my family's built up over years yeah and uh so I'm, i'm hauling my gear and it's this place that i really love i normally you know as my net's coming back in i love the sounds i love the machinery and the sun and the the water and it's this kind of quiet moment for me and i'm in that moment but i'm angry and i'm praying you know god please help my heart like, I can feel I have anger in me that's just not right. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just, it's not okay, and I need to move past this anger. Please forgive me for my anger, my lack of perspective. Give me a good attitude. Help me find solutions. And my block stops pulling the net on board. It starts, it's stuck. And the mm-hmm. net's just slipping. And I look up, and here's my lazarette hatch in the net. In the block. No. It's, yeah, it's blocking the net from getting through because it's too big to go through this power block. No way. The, the net had grabbed the hatch yeah. and had pulled it overboard. And it was just such a powerful thing because if it wasn't for God's work in my dad's life and my dad's humility and grace... And then our struggle together, all these hours of teary conversations about why are you so mad at me? Well, you did this, and how do we heal? Um, I would have absolutely lost it on my crew. I mean, I was so mad. Yeah. And then over nothing, the hatch was going to come back on board in another hour. It was. But gonna you be didn't back. know that. I didn't know that. And I, yeah, interesting. I would have lost so much relationship. And to put that mm. in perspective, you know my crew at this point is a dear friend of mine from landside who's well but a believer and you know somebody who's in their process and growing and healing Okay, who we talked a lot you know openly and spiritually so you know you know how it is when somebody who you shared belief with and been open with really falls hard in front of you that's yes and then my other guy I've got was somebody who I really had you know he's a believer and I really felt like his soul was really in the balance and we had had a lot of bible talking together and what is salvation how does it work well he suddenly passed away oh a month after the season fell down in his kitchen talking with his kid and had a brain hemorrhage and passed away he was in his mid-30s wow maybe late 30s Hmm. and so you know when i'm hearing my dad say you love these guys they've been there for you i look back and i think about you know that that guy here i am you know ministering or trying to you know represent the faith to this guy or just mm. kind of be, you know, a positive forth- force in his life. There's so much on the line more than a Freeman Hatch mm-hmm. that yeah. in my basic humanity, I would have completely lost. I would not have been. Uh, or biblically speaking, you might say in your flesh. E- exactly right. I would have set just such a horrible example. And to say that, you know, that may or may not have cost his soul is is arrogance, but sure. It's certainly not something I wanted to have yeah. between us. And to just be able to see that kind of the grace and the growth and mm. the learning mm. kind of pay out in such a tangible way mm. of here I am in that same moment. And I don't think anyone else could have spoken to me about, don't be, because you don't understand, this is expensive equipment, this is my life jacket, but my dad, who... who walk this path in front Mm -hmm. of me can really speak powerfully. Reminds me of like Hebrews uh, you know Jesus is
0: a high priest that he can sympathize with our weaknesses you know such a powerful verse and exactly what you're talking about only your dad could have told you that absolutely you know and he was the only person in the entire world who could say that to you yeah absolutely and of course Christ understanding us more than we were talking about the woman at the well he understood her wounds and her pains completely and he spoke directly into it He knew the the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and he spoke directly to them and they hated Mm -hmm. him for it and ended up Mm -hmm. killing him, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so that concept of having a high priest in Jesus who understands Mm -hmm. our weaknesses completely, our brokenness, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a beautiful picture with what your father did.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I I was going to comment too, we talked about this generational thing with your your great-grandparents, grandparents, grandparents, so I, I may have said that wrong, but passing down these wounds and now because of your father's humility to learn humble Mm -hmm. himself and you you found forgiveness Mm -hmm. that chain is broken and now you're passing grace to your children and not this cyclical thing and it required forgiveness it required humility i love that ellis this is
1: a you have a neat story yeah that's this is I mean, there's the whole like, oh, I get to fish this beautiful boat and, you know, it's this beautiful job and what a blessing my dad's given me that. But far more than any of the aesthetics or the finances of fishing, I would say, you know, when I look back to that moment that God reached out to me in my daughter's room, I would have never guessed or hoped for the amount of peace and love and understanding and growth for myself. You know, it's so easy to sit back and say, well, I can see, you know, where my dad really did wrong to me. But then to have that process and that relationship speaking, gentleness, understanding and patience into my own life, being able to see where, oh, I'm not standing on some mountaintop I have a plank in my eye as well. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just as ready put in the same situation. I'm just as ready to do the exact same thing. In fact, losing a hatch is way less of a problem than losing a generator. Yeah. I'm ready to do the exact same thing. And then to be able, because of that kind of push, you know, I believe that was what God was doing was creating this process is years long, extremely painful, but has allowed there to be. Hmm. I mean a profundity of forgiveness and grace and hmm. understanding that to me now I look at you know I've got a 75 year old dad
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think about you know how many men you know I just my you know you get to be pretty close to your providers my my diesel mechanic and Homer just suddenly passed away was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed away wow. and I think about him and his sons you hmm. know and their relationship and I, I think about you know, did they ever have the opportunity to have this kind of learning, to be able to, you know, yeah. my dad isn't terribly long for this world one way or another. Yeah. And to just know, you know, that I am able to really look at that relationship with peace, acceptance. I went two years without talking to my parents wow. because I was so angry at them, so wounded. And now to think about you know and
0: your story is just one example of how especially here in Alaska but of course everywhere people who have these broken relationships with parents or family members and how rare it is to restore it the way you were able to i
1: see i i don't think uh, yes yes um but i mean we're talking just absolutely purely about the grace of god yeah, yeah. i wouldn't have chosen it. i i wouldn't have chosen it mm. i wouldn't have i wouldn't have even done it i don't think it was I'm crying out to God, I'm stuck, I need help. And God says, okay, I'll help you, you know, two out of 10 financially, but I'm gonna help you eight out of 10 spiritually wow. and emotionally in a way you're not even asking for. Like, I hear you more than you realize you're asking for. It's, you know, the the Holy Spirit, you know, intercedes on our behalf, so here's the inner groanings mm. of our heart, and that was a place I wasn't even able to articulate. Mm a need for growth but now looking back through that process it's just it's profound you know and so like (laughs) you know this year I um we 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 performed so well the fleet forgot we existed and I got left in my family my granddad's favorite fishing spot my dad's favorite fishing spot maybe third favorite You know, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite spots, the fleet just left us there for 21 days, and I deck-loaded the boat eight days in a row. No, I deck-loaded the boat seven... What does deck-loaded mean? It means I've not only filled all my fish holds, but I've made an extra set and threw all the fish on deck. Oh, I gotcha. And, you know, they say if you load your boat four times in a season, you'll make it. We loaded the boat eight times in seven days. Wow. Wow. So I delivered 91,000 pounds of fish in 24 hours off of a boat that weighs... About sixty two thousand pounds. Wow. That's crazy. Ellis. It was so much fish. Yeah, so much fish. Yeah, and It's not just the fish. It's the relationship with my crew It's the ability to you know stay focused and work hard maintain my equipment to apply what I've learned from my dad But we had Starlink this year for the first time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
1: so my dad's video chatting me
0: Mm-hmm,
1: and we're having these video chats Gosh, four or five times a day. So I'd point the camera out the window. I want to see what you're doing. How's the weather? You know, uh video, have your kids video you rolling a bag. And then I'd finish rolling the bag and he'd give me all these tips. And just to be able to hear my dad really proud of me, really thrilled with what I was doing, just you know, so so excited to be able to share all these moments with Mm -hmm. him and Share what I was up to. You know, fishing, obviously, a different way than he would approaching these sets differently. You're
0: you're becoming your own man. Right. And have
1: him right there with me. It's everything I'd ever dreamed of as a kid. But the path there wasn't in going and being a, quote, unquote, self-made man. The path was in going through this humiliating process Hmm. and going through these arguments and getting in touch with all of this trauma and... And now here I am, you know, with something as superficial as just hearing my dad say, Hey, what a cool set. Good job rolling that bag. Mm. Wow. You know, we went to flesh out another market and a guy who neither of us have ever heard of before heard what boat I was running and asked my dad if I was still in Halibut Bay, which means word had gotten out in the town. And people who we didn't know were talking about the fact that oops we let the millennium get away from us because, you know, I'm not my dad and people have gotten used to the fact that the big dog's not on the boat anymore. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh it was just such a cool thing to be able to share in that kind of tangible success with him. Yeah. But on top of that also to be able to look at these areas where I can really see spirit literally the fruit of the spirits, gentleness, peacemaking understanding, positivity really start to flourish in my life wow. in a way that I wouldn't, I, I would have screamed. I would have lost it at my crew and been pretty mad.
0: I mean, And it was like God's intervention in your life, the Holy Spirit working as mm-hmm. the only
1: reason you're capable of doing that. Yeah, I mean, gosh, calling my dad when I was upset wouldn't have been happening <laughs> been <laughs> in my trauma, <laughs> let alone him having that kind of voice in my life. And he's the only person, like you said, he's the only person who could have had that voice. Yeah. Yeah, because he's the only person who like you said had the ability to truly sympathize with what I was going through and from that place Mm -hmm. you know he's able to pass on this umbrella of healing and it's a really it's an incredible way you know it's an example when
0: healing becomes the generational thing you pass along just it's kind of like Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a seed that died and fell and then it grew into this great tree Mm -hmm. and the birds came and rested in the branches Mm -hmm. you know that's going to be your children's 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 mm-hmm. you've created a tree because you forgave one man in your life mm-hmm. and brought healing mm-hmm. and that's what the kingdom of heaven is like i i love the imagery jesus brings into that and that's directly correlated with your story which mm-hmm. i love um i kind of want to wrap it up but like we, before we hit record we were talking about Um, you had this dog training business Mm -hmm. and you had some really interesting thoughts about like when you work with these clients who have dogs with behavioral problems, can you just discuss that a little bit? Like what the business did and the connection between the dog's behavior and the person's behavior? What was,
1: yeah, I mean, this was a, it was a huge part of me. I think I was drawn to this and to just start the process of healing. Okay. You know i really i got a dog i really messed her up she was expressing a lot of aggression and anxiety you know fear and fighting and there's a lot of stuff i could see in myself and i could see that something from me was passing this on i didn't have relationship with my parents so then i went to school to figure out why my dog was getting all of this from me um got my degree and then started working Rehabbing, like I said kind of early, rehabbing problem behaviors in dogs, Hmm. specializing largely in aggression. Um, The most common cause of premature death for the Western dog is euthanasia by people for behavior disorders. Oh, wow. So it's pandemic. Yeah. Um, And so I wanted to get into basically why are these dogs being put down? How do I help people solve these problems? Hmm. And kind of what I've come to learn is... Um, dogs use us as parents. Mm-hmm. That's They're like a mockingbird. They exploit our love-trust bond hormone, our oxytocin response, and we provide caregiving to them as though they are our own children. Yeah. And they acquire both their emotional framework, so how a situation makes us feel, mm-hmm. and their coping strategies for that framework by observing and interacting with their parents. Hmm. So there's this really powerful... Actual function for misbehavior Hmm. in which misbehavior prompts the parent to engage in conflict resolution. Hmm. And by engaging in that conflict resolution, I can acquire coping strategies and framework for myself. Yeah. So while we do all need to make the dog toe the line and obey the rules, that's actually much less important for the animal's development and well-being than the means by which we make it toe the line. Yep. That's how they're actually going to learn to you, to do conflict resolution in the future. So then, in other words, if I'm aggressive, if I'm short-tempered, if I'm escalatory, if I'm threatening in conflict resolution, that's going to become culture. That's going to be what my dog is going to learn as the way you fix problems with other people, um, mm-hmm. kind of just like our children do. and. So at first, this kind of very technical thing of we'll make the dog walk left and right and sit and lie down and stay starts to become. Why, how are you acting and why are you acting that way in the process of Mm -hmm. making the dog listen? Mm -hmm. And what it really came to then is realizing that when we look at things. We're talking about gentleness, we're talking about patience, we're talking about peacemaking, we're talking about kindness, we're talking about self-control. Yeah, those words sound familiar. Right, those (laughs) are all the mechanisms that create (laughs) a well dog or a kind, patient, safe, stable animal. Mm -hmm. Well, where do we see those words coming up? And I start to realize this is stuff that is, it's fruit of the spirit. And so when I look at, let's use my dog, she was afraid Because I had been Impatient and unkind Mm -hmm. Because I'd threatened her I'd hurt her Mm -hmm. She was violent because I was violent So my dog, this little Four-legged animal Is quite literally tangibly expressing The sin in my life Wow. And so then as I'm working With my case, and this is where the emotional burnout Really came from, you know, when I'm crying out To God saying, what am I doing here Was I'm realizing That I'm walking in as a canine behavior consultant and I'm trying to do the work of a pastor and I don't get to say in my professional capacity like, <laughs> let's open our Bibles <laughs> let's, <laughs> right. let's hop into John look at the Sermon on the Mount that's not know? what they're paying you for exactly, right but that's kind of what's needed exactly right mm. and so then I wound up in this place where you know and this is something where you know I still have to really work out I am you know, in my capacity as a consultant, I get heartbroken. Mm. It's hard. You know, you're you're walking into areas of sin. I mean, Jesus said, you know, you don't call a doctor for somebody who's well. You call a doctor for the sick. I've come for the sick and the needy. Yes. I'm not being called into houses where people automatically, and that's not to say every client I have is this horrible person. I work with beautiful people, but you're dealing day in and day out with flesh with sin nature and a lot of times unable to to say and so you know we're talking about the woman at the well there's this part of me that really struggles with you know i can see the power and discernment and perception that christ had when he spoke to that woman and that discernment and power gave him conciseness yeah. gave him directness hmm. So I'm sitting here as a human being and I want to be able to go to these clients and say, you know, you know, drink from the everlasting water that you may (laughs) never be thirsty again. But you just can't accomplish as a human in a sentence or two, you know, what what Christ is able to accomplish as God. And so there's this part of me that, you know, I know that Christ has put the spirit or God put the spirit in me to want to help people. You know, by my suffering, He grew compassion, so I have compassion there. Mm -hmm. But then I'm kind of torn by this exhaustion of having to work with the sin, just see what's going on in the world, you know, see how much people suffer and struggle while also feeling really incapable of shaking my magic wand so to speak or you know deploying my godhead and it's like you
0: you covet jesus because he was able to
1: perceive and have the conciseness
0: with the woman at the well and you can't obtain that level because you're not god <laughs> exactly right, and right. So you, that that's a, there's a frustration there
1: yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely i tell you what um fishing i used to think it was so hard <laughs> and then i did full-time consulting for a minute and realized wow. that like boy Sure is peaceful on the ocean. <laughs> sure, sure is quiet. <laughs> the water doesn't come up in sin. No, no it's just wet. It's just trying heavy. to kill me. It's just trying yeah. to kill me, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely, um, you know, as we're sitting here talking again, you know, I just had this conversation with my wife. I am staggered by the grace that's been shown to me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it wasn't me that decided to ask these questions or set myself up in this process. You know, God sought me first, but the fact that he chose to give me the experiences and the opportunities for growth that he has is just beyond the pale. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's beyond understanding. I don't know why I was... Select. I can see a lot of places in my life that I fought the process and ran from God. Mm. And I don't know why, you know, and again, I'm just I'm humbled by the grace and the mercy to continue to work in my life. I don't,
0: you know, and I've, I've thought about that.
1: This concept in the
0: past is that the hardships that you faced and the freedom you have found because of grace, because of forgiveness. That is what drives us to worship and worship is our greatest pleasure, our greatest joy. And it's only there because of the hardship.
1: You know, it's kind of like,
0: I don't know what cold is unless I know what warm is. When you experience the opposite, you delight in the good thing all the more. You know, people who grew up quite comfortably, say in a Christian home or just in a really healthy home, they don't get to experience grace in the way people who've been to rock bottom have Mm -hmm. and there's greater joy in that Mm -hmm. and I do think you know we ask why does God allow suffering I think that's one of the reasons Mm -hmm. is uh, when you hit rock bottom and then you find freedom from that the the joy that comes from it Mm -hmm. is exponential Mm -hmm. and now you get to pass it on to your children and now you're watching these dogs come in (laughs) and their behavior is reflecting their owner's behavior Mm -hmm. and now you have this perception that others aren't seeing and you crave their healing you Mm -hmm. crave and you're carrying that burden Mm -hmm. um but you have that perception similar to what jesus had to the woman at the well that you probably wouldn't have had before
1: no no i am uh it's i have this favorite quote or slogan is uh by which process do we develop humility well it's through humiliation (laughs) yes that's good i like it. and um I am, you know, I'm humbled. I am absolutely humbled, again, by just the grace, by the process, by the blessing. You know, I, I, the boat is such a tangible place for me. There are mornings where I will be, you know, you wake up way too early, you know, 430, you sit in the dark, you wait for the set, the sun comes up, call it morning glory, when, you know, the light just hits the mountain, you can start to see colors, you lay out your net. Mm -hmm. And I'll sit there in the wheelhouse with the sun coming up and just, you're talking about the heart to worship. That is where I can really sit. Yes. Wow, how many times have I sat in this wheelhouse sad or in pain or angry or feeling unheard? And now that same place has become, you know, this bastion of worship and praise and blessing for me because of... You know, just the amount of work that God has done in my life, um, very frequently against my will <laughs> or in spite of myself. I um, wish I could
0: express in words how beautiful that is. I love that.
1: Yeah, thanks.
0: So um I want to ask you what, one more thing in closing. Before we start recording, we we're talking about these petals that you're making. Yeah. Can you talk about those briefly? Where people can get these petals and um, we were also talking about what they do for you, almost like a therapy for you. Can you talk about that?
1: Right. So, yeah, I uh, I don't dabble in anything. I, if I get into something, I get into it hard. It's, I think it's an ADHD thing. It's hyper-focused. <laughs> but uh, I, I play guitar and um, started messing around with effects pedals, which is a disease, and uh, realizing how much it was going to cost. And so I started building some as a hobby, um, just kind of getting kits and started researching how and why they work and really fell in love with the process of building guitar effects um, I would say that you know, I fish in the summer; that's really my job and I, I moonlight in the winter um, and I like to have something to keep my hands full, so I've started kind of building these It's I do one day a week of dog training and four or five days a week of building and mm-hmm. um, I would say that, you know Building effects, for me, is the antithesis (laughs) to consulting. Um, On the surface, a dog is very simple. Mm -hmm. But in practice, in a deeper understanding, they're a living system. People are a living system, and I can never understand. I can understand probabilities, and it's highly likely that the following factors are contributing to the following outcomes. But you just simply cannot know and you are not in control. And even if I understood a person for one moment, in the next moment they change and I cannot continue to understand them. Mm. Whereas um, as I started getting into effects on the surface electrical, you know, small signal design is really complicated. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's calculus and algebra. And Mm -hmm. it's not very complicated, it's very knowable. Mm -hmm. And I can go and I can Google (laughs) A formula and then I can plug in my data and I can do the formula. And if I can't figure it out, I can get AI assist or <laughs> throw it up on some of the forums. Unless like you the- know
0: that math and the laws of nature won't change. They're you can rely on
1: them. So consistent. And yeah. if I plug in an effect and it doesn't work, then the solution is knowable. Yeah. And I can you can find it. I can measure voltages and I can measure impedances and resistance and capacitance and I can discover the problem, replace a component Mm -hmm. and make the effect function. And so there's something there for me that, you know, in the rest of my life, you know, I'm working with people and what's going on internally, emotionally and spiritually with them. You know, I work on the ocean, which. You cannot control fish, you cannot control the ocean, you can barely control your crew, you know? Um, so then sitting down at my desk and just kind of grinding out something that's so tangible, predictable, measurable is this place of uh, exerting control. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know whether or not God is gonna bless me here. You know, it's something I really enjoy, but I'm really aware that, you know, like we talked about, blessed are the meek blessed are the downtrod blessing the poor in spirit and i do know like i'm not comfortable shutting down the consulting business my i'd like to Mm -hmm. but i don't feel blessing there yet i feel like i'm you know i'm not going out to people but Mm -hmm. people still know how to find me and people Mm -hmm. come in so when somebody asks i show up for them um but if god saw fit to bless me in the pedal building thing that would feel great (laughs) and so i'm I'm working on that i'm open to it um Mm -hmm. The business is called Dad Shoegazers. There's a (laughs) style of music called shoegaze that I really loved. And now the aficionados of shoegades are mostly dads. (laughs) (laughs) And so Dad uh, Shoegazers, our website's dadshoegazers.com. Okay. Um,
0: And... uh, and how much does one of these pedals cost that you produce? I right now I'm I'm losing
1: money on my time because I'm just so it's trying good for to the get, buyers right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm they're they're um between about 100 bucks for the simplest ones and my higher end stuff that's more complicated. It's I think 225 maybe 250 for like the the biggest stuff I'm and doing. And is that a
0: lower price than, you know, the larger market? Yeah, I'm right now
1: charging basically double parts. Mhm. So but that's not accommodating my time. Oh, I see at all. yeah, so I'm kind of losing money on how much time I'm putting in, although financially, yeah. what I'm doing right now is basically using sales to fund additional research, yeah, and prototyping. Mm-hmm. So building up my stock, building up what I have, and I'm able to build. And then you know that allows me to buy tools and kind of doing my continuing education. Yeah. So, um yeah and and this is kind of free advertising for
0: you but like part of the point of that is you're not really making money which means if someone wanted one of your pedals like now is a really good time to buy it (laughs) now is a good time to buy
1: it i'm we're i've i've been talking with my wife here and we're looking i imagine i'm going to continue on like this for probably two years okay and there's a few more you know i want to be able to basically cover all the bases out there and then i'm going to uh ramp down new product development. Once Mm. I'm up to, you know, I need to build a chorus, a flanger, Mm. um, a new phasers, a few things I wanna get done. Um, We're gonna switch around and I'll start spending appropriate money on marketing and probably have to up the prices to make a fair business model. But right now, yeah, it's all handmade. I do everything I can in my house. So everything other than building the enclosures and uh, the actual printed circuit boards Mm -hmm. I'm doing. By hand, high quality well, materials, so
0: yeah. It's well fun. I'll I'll put if it's okay with you, put a link to your website on the yeah, show notes. That'd be fine. So make sure you scroll down and check those out. And yeah. uh Ellis, uh I can tell you're a very deep thinker and you also have a really neat story. And so Thank I'm you. really thankful. And you speak with a lot of clarity too, which is um really it, I, I feel like this episode can bless a lot of people because your story is how many thousands of other people's stories, you know? Um, issues with their father and needing forgiveness in their life so um, anyway thank you so much for coming on and Mm. I really enjoyed it and uh, I'll see you at church
1: yeah Roger (laughs) God has blessed me
0: yes he has thanks Alice thank you